You're listening to The Revolution Podcast. Join us as we bust myths and challenge common assumptions, helping you to revolutionize your rooster experience. So today we wanted to talk about yet another challenge and struggle that many of us face on maybe a daily basis um, when we attempt to share information, um, practices, or methodology that we have found to be more effective than maybe what the majority in the community believe to be true um, and not be met with hostility and anger and just refusal to accept that information. I mean, even some of the most well-supported, backed-in-science arguments, you know, to a lot of these common suggestions are just so often met with resistance and reluctance to accept that information. It can certainly leave a lot of us feeling like a lot of keepers out there just don't care about the fact that they're being cruel and like there's just no point in, you know, trying to change their mind. Is that the case? Absolutely not. Um, and the fact, actually, that we're doing this show and all of the other, you know, outreach attempts we're making um, should definitely support that there is a point, you know, in continuing to share. But it's something that we see come up all the time. I can't say that we've actually run into that pushback, or at least um, in my interactions with other keepers, I have not run into this myself, but I see it day in and day out. And it's really interesting, actually, because the interaction between humans especially online, uh, really closely parallels a lot of the interactions and the assumptions that come up between humans and their roosters. You know, we've talked a whole lot about not making too much of attacks from roosters, looking at what's really driving it, considering that it might not be personal and that some additional, you know, um, invitation is needed, that we can be friends, that we can be a team. This is all um, very easy to understand, I think, when it comes to another species, but some Something happens when it comes to dealing with our own, and it's much, much more difficult to see those driving factors, even though in quite a lot of cases they really are the same. So something that comes up uh, very, very regularly that we see in the group is that members will join, you know, they'll learn new methods, new strategies for working with their bird. They'll see incredible progress. They'll be, you know, really amazed by the information that they'd never seen discussed before. And they'll go and they'll attempt to share that in other places. And they come back basically just defeated and discouraged, um, saying that they just got laughed out of the room or that person just attacked them or called them a wimp or, you know, any of a number of things. And a lot of times this actually ends with them, you know, confirming that they've just left that group entirely. Um, and there's a communication problem really at the root of this more than a human soul problem or a motive problem. Yeah, I know you see a lot less of this, but I can attest from my own experience that even when I'm trying my best to be neutral and empathetic and share information that's not only going to help that keeper's bird, but help that keeper themselves. Um, I'm, I'm often met with a defensiveness as though I'm attacking them. You know, they seem to clearly be taking it personally as though I'm saying that they're being cruel by having made the mistake that they made, which many of us have made. 
<laughs> right, definitely. Well, and the interesting thing here is that, you know, it's um, it's pretty clear to us, right, that our roosters speak a different language than we do. I think we're more comfortable making these allowances and seeing alternate reasons for that conflict or that resistance to the things we're trying to do, because we understand there's this communication barrier that we have to overcome. But this is the same situation when it comes to humans, too. Just because we speak the same language, we are all coming from such incredibly different backgrounds, the experiences we had in our upbringing, the traits and the values that were modeled for us um, differ so tremendously. There might as well, honestly, be just as much of a communication barrier. So in the same way that when we go out to our flock and, you know, we move a particular way and our rooster misinterprets that as preparing to challenge him, right? The same kind of thing can happen in verbal communication where when we're replying to these people, we're trying to share different information it is an absolute minefield that's just the word choice is so critical because the moment that you take up a stance that differs from the person you're speaking with there is going to be that worry that assumption that you're being combative or that they're being judged or put down or that there's some kind of a uh, a negative evaluation of them, the person, going on. It's a very nuanced process getting around that. And usually I find it has to start with expressing that you understand what they're dealing with. That yeah. is really critical. You know, and I'd, I'd say that it certainly draws a parallel to in-person interactions uh, versus the online ones. Um, I think that maybe everyone can relate to the fact that there's a different way we interact with people when we're face to face with them. Um, there's a desire to avoid conflict and, 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 you know, hostility, and we don't want things to deteriorate into um, aggression or, you know, a, a physical altercation, certainly. Um, so we, we choose our words more carefully. We, you know, maybe tiptoe around certain accusations um, and we try and get on the same page in a, in a neutral and open way. But online, there is not that face-to-face -face, and there's no danger of a physical altercation, right? So uh, I think that there is much less of a filter on what people say to each other. Um, and I think we all know this to be true. There's a lot of online communities in general. Um, the comment sections on YouTube can be a very toxic place. And <laughs> it's just because there is not that filter. There's no danger of, you know, um, a consequence of offending a person because they're just a nameless, faceless yeah. online presence. Um, but if you could restructure your interaction and reword your suggestion or the information you're trying to share as though you were in person, as though you were at the same time actively trying to make friends with that person, um, I think we'd be a lot more effective. Definitely. Well, and emotions can so easily run rampant online because there are no real consequences, of course, other than that person, you know, blocking you or um, bringing about a fight over it or, you know, even just a verbal one. It it kind of leaves both parties in a bad light um, when this happens. And so even if the point that was being made initially is a very sound one, if we get pulled into these combative interactions, we wind up looking equally bad typically by 
the end of it. Um, we're really not practicing what we preach at that point. And, you know, that's its own concern. But there's also just the issue that we're so conditioned at this point to feel like our online interaction just gets spat out there and then we move on. And we probably, in a lot of cases, never hear from that person again. I feel like we are really seeing this as just kind of a one-time use um, interaction and not really thinking about where it goes from there in a lot of cases, just because so often it doesn't go anywhere. You're not going to get a follow-up from that person. You're not going to remain in contact with them. What does it matter, right? Well, as far as we can see, the where it goes from there is, you know, what we don't see. What What ends up happening to that rooster? Yeah. And that's where, you know, and this might be fine, you know, if you think a music video is incredibly dumb and someone else loves it and you reply to them saying you have terrible taste. I mean, it wouldn't be a very nice thing to do, but it's probably not going to have a massive impact on anything. But when it comes to trying to spread better information and bring about compassion for these birds who so desperately need and deserve that, there are really, really high stakes. Um, I actually often compare it to more of like a terrorist negotiation or hostage negotiation, that we have to walk on eggshells, we have to tiptoe like crazy, because it's not actually the person that we're frustrated with who's going to suffer if we're nasty to them. Um, they're going to cut off ties with us. They're going to fall back to all the bad advice they were getting previously. They're not going to think twice about doing this because we are also kind of a anonymous, faceless person on the internet. They have no reason to need to care. So if they have any room to say, oh, this person's just being an extremist or they're just being a jerk, they're going to very quickly and easily take that. And it's probably going to be the bird who suffers for it. So it's just a really different situation that calls for a very radically different approach. Right. Because when the bird is what's at stake, it's critically important that the person you're sharing that information with doesn't feel attacked, right? And they don't want to withdraw and refuse the information you're trying to provide for them. Right. You absolutely have to not alienate. And that means, you know, kind of in the same way we do with our birds, taking a step back and giving the benefit of the doubt really is what it is. Um, we've gotten to a point, you know, we've talked multiple times about not making these kinds of broad brush assumptions, you know, that just roosters who attack are mean. Roosters don't appreciate human friendship. They don't want to get along. They're always going to be territorial. You know, really in most things in life, any kind of a just broad brush assessment like that is going to be wrong. Things are just so much more nuanced than that. Um, but what always strikes me as interesting is how quickly a lot of, you know, the keepers who have come to see that about their birds and how much more is factoring into their behavior and how complex all of that is are still very comfortable turning around and making the same kinds of broad assessments about the maybe more difficult people that they're trying to reach. And so it just strikes me that if we've seen this truth when it comes to managing our roosters, that there's always more than meets the eye. They're never attacking just because they're mean. They're never attacking because they're just heartless jerks. Um, but neither are humans. So when a human is misbehaving or they're doing something that seems inconsiderate or seems unkind, there's always a great deal going into that. And, and we've got the added layer of the fact that humans can misrepresent how they actually feel about right. what they're doing and do often. Right. So there's definitely you know, either a misunderstanding and or a 
difference in past experience or education. You know, if the education only came from, you know, their grandparents, um, they're not going to be as receptive necessarily to the scientific information that just came out two years ago. (laughs) Very true. Well, and not to mention the fact that if we're getting into these conversations, you know, that person honestly could have this latent doubt or this discomfort with the method they're currently using, just kind of simmering under the surface. But if we open that conversation with anything that sounds like a judgment or a personal attack in any way, shape, or form, that defense mechanism that humans have to shut down, double down, is going to very, very quickly kick into play. Um, And that's going to appear at that point like they're just nasty. It really is just a sign of feeling threatened in the same way that a rooster will get defensive when they feel threatened. Humans do the same thing, but we do it through a bit different method. Yeah. And it's so unfortunate. It makes me think of, you know, so many comments from people who I agree with, you know, that we're on the same team as, um, who just went about it in too blunt a way, that weren't considering necessarily how that information would be received by the other person. And at that point, you know, because it gets refused, um, it's it's just wasted effort. And sometimes it's even actively detrimental, you know, especially for, for the bird on the other end. You know, activists and and PETA members, <laughs> I think, do this a lot. And again, we know we're we're we have the same goals. But when you're when the way that we go about sharing information is viewed as an attack, the helpful information won't be seen as helpful. And we we could be putting the same amount of time and effort, and you know, commenting on these these posts or you know, giving better suggestions in a way that actually opens that person up to receiving it. Right, and makes very clear that it is not anything personal. It's just a desire to help them to have a better outcome, to have an easier time navigating these situations. Um, but, you know, really the the activist element is even more insidious than it appears at first glance because it doesn't stay with the activist who makes that misstep. Um, And I can speak to, you know, PETA's influence. I was actually pretty heavily involved with them for quite a long time, you know, in my late teens, early 20s, Um, was very, very passionately involved with PETA and stopped being involved with them, actually, because it was just so clear that nothing was getting done. It was a lot of exposure to heartbreak and a lot of exposure to failure and and the cruelty just continuing, just trucking along despite our best efforts. And for a long time, I fell off of the active wagon entirely, actually, really, until we got our chickens. I had completely dismissed that as something that could work because you try all of these, you know, arguably fairly extreme tactics and nothing seems to be landing. And of course, you're going to start to conclude that just people just won't listen. There's no point. Well, and to but be the fair, tactics were wrong. To be fair, you know, I, I felt like many of the PETA activists feel for a long time. You know, I believed that the shock tactics are just what some people need to learn that lesson, to to have that information actually make a difference in their brain. Like, um, it, it occurred to me that it would take something so extreme to make someone change their mind. And yet we've found 
so many more examples of otherwise resistant keepers opening up and now being accepting of the the different methodologies and a more compassionate way to to keep their roosters. Yeah, I mean, it's really been shocking to me, and it's what's prompted me to think so heavily about all of this is the fact that just out of concern, again, concern for the bird initially, um, I kind of resolved that any time that I come across a post anywhere online, you know, in forums that is talking about a problem with a rooster, and it's clear that this rooster might wind up in danger if this doesn't get resolved, um, I make a point to jump in there and sincerely try to help any way that I possibly can. And it's never a combative thing. It's never an angry thing. It is always an assumption that there may be information that person is missing or misunderstanding. And if they can get it in a friendly, non-threatening way, that it might make a world of difference. But this has left me, you know, jumping into posts that literally just say, what's the easiest, fastest method for processing. I mean, people that I'm sure most would just completely scroll past and think there is absolutely no way that they're at all interested in hearing anything I have to say. But with the right method, I can't tell you how many of those people have usually actually not replied in the comments, which is telling. Usually they reach out to me in private through, you know, direct message asking for help and airing the fact that they really don't want to do that, but they feel like they have no other options and people have told them there's no hope and at that point now we have a dialogue now they have also a point of contact they feel supported they know they have someone they can contact if they need help in the future but there's clearly an apprehension about you know admitting that in the comments you know usually these posts have like 250 300 comments encouraging them you know yeah no we need to put up with a mean rooster and it's very hard i think at that point for people to be vulnerable to expose that they care the peer pressure is to just you know off with his head and move on and that's a really really hard thing to uh, counter <laughs> like it's a really hard thing to break through unless you take the correct approach and sort of lower those already present defenses so that that person is able to understand you know that you're looking to help and able to receive that information without it making them feel so threatened i mean really in a nutshell it, it's basically empathy right we we have to recognize that we are human too um, and we've made mistakes we've all made mistakes <laughs> and all the best we can do is learn from them and try to do better um, whatever the circumstances or the scenario is um, and anyone that we are reaching out to to try and help them or help their rooster they are human like we are they have made mistakes they have been given you know bad information or seen poor practices in person and we have to be willing to accept that and not hold it against them you know we must not take their mistakes personally and we don't want them to take our advice personally or our criticism personally right <laughs> well what could be seen as criticism yeah yeah because there is there's always going to be that kind of risk of defensiveness and it's it's simply because if somebody is sharing advice or something that worked for them or a tip first of all they're trying to help 
um, in their mind, in their perspective, they are trying to be helpful and supportive to another human being. Um, and that's going to mean that they are currently under a pretty firm belief that what they're doing is right, that is correct, that it is not cruel. Um, that can be really blindsiding when someone just comes out of the nowhere and starts telling you that you're abusing your animal and you're an evil person. Yeah, it, you know, it just reminds me of so many other um, practices that were accepted for so long. We've touched on this in previous episodes as well, but, you know, the history of, of dog training, mm-hmm. you know, used to be a dominance method it used that included, you know, physical contact or, um, you know, putting them in their place, heavy discipline. And uh, now that is just completely out of favor. And it, we rely on a friendlier, more compassionate method. And the same goes for chickens, that people have been taught a perhaps inferior way for so long that that is what they know to be best. And they they are honestly still good people trying to do the best they can. They They do care for their flock and they don't want to hurt them. They're not thinking that they are abusing them in any way. And so we just have to be really cognizant of that and understand that just because someone did something that we see as, you know, aggressive or abusive doesn't mean that they see it that way. And if we can connect with them on neutral terms and share the information in a friendly way, um, they're much more likely to be open to changing. Yeah, I mean, it really is true that the majority of people really are good people. <laughs> you know, it's, we hear about it, you know, and this is this is kind of on, I think, like, you know, things like the news and just the way that um, people are made to remain engaged, you know, online and in media publications and movies. You know, what gets emphasized is the evil, it's the bad, because that pulls people's attention. You know, people are going to read a whole lot more about a bombing, you know, in some town that was a terror attack than they are about just a puppy went for a walk. You know, it's probably something to do with our fear instinct, you know, and our desire to guard against threats. We prioritize the negative, but that's not actually the reality. And that's not what our world is actually really comprised of. The really soulless bad people that we tend to see around every corner, you're very unlikely to actually encounter them. But you will encounter people who've had very different backgrounds, different ways of expressing themselves, different anxieties. So, you know, change is scary. And the people that we're trying to present new information to are always going to have that initial reluctance because there is security in what's familiar. And veering, veering off of the rooster psychology thing and onto human psychology for a moment, there is actually a very well-known phenomenon called the backfire effect. And that is the well-documented human tendency to double down on a bad method or a bad strategy or bad thinking when it's brought to light that it's bad. And the reason we do this is because, you know, just speaking from purely a survival standpoint, we really do heavily rely on things being predictable. We need to know that when we, you know, turn on our faucet to get a drink of water, the water is going to come out of there. We need to know that locking our door will keep us safe from intruders. We need things to go the way that we expect them to go, because that is what allows our brain to make 
these quick decisions. So in a very real way, our sense of security comes from believing that we not only know what to expect in our environment, but that we are right about what it means. Because if we're not, we're incredibly vulnerable. And so there's almost this instinctive um, thing in the brain where when something that we have relied on and accepted as true and verifiable and, and acceptable and acceptable for such a long time gets called into question there is a danger that we are quite literally not even thinking about the information we're straight into defense mode because we need that thing that we've relied on to continue to be right so if you come at it from this perspective that when we present new information we are quite literally threatening that other person's ability to feel comfortable with their ability to make decisions to feel good about their state of security to feel good about the things that they've been doing and who that makes them as a person there is so much wrapped up in this that a lot of times on the surface at least people are going to be inclined to reject it just to protect that sense of safety and that sense of self they're very very interconnected and this is why we have to make sure that we are very very clear in that making a mistake does not make you a bad person it means that you were given bad information or that there was information that you haven't come across yet and that's perfectly fine and it happens to all of us but we have to get the identity out of this equation and focus just on the information love the person accept and embrace the person encourage better data um, but keep the two very, very separate and don't make the mistake of linking the person to the actions in the same way that we don't make the mistake of linking our rooster to their behavior at a root level. Yeah. Once again, we're all human. We all make mistakes. We're all fallible. Whether you are the livestock keeper or the animal rights activist, you've made mistakes. <laughs> so have we. Uh, it's part of being human. And if we can accept that about ourselves and about one another, then we can all be far more productive and helpful to our roosters. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and moving on to a kind of side point here, um, which is that, you know, again, a lot of people see really, really bad reception from this. Um, we had mentioned just a little bit ago about how activism doesn't end with the activist who might make the misstep. And what we mean by that is that there is a um, an image that we have as keepers who subscribe to a certain kind of viewpoint. The people who feel that the rooster's feelings should be respected and we should go out of our way to protect and preserve their health and their happiness and their safety. You know, activist is a word that entails that we are going out and we are doing things to improve that situation. But it's actually sort of trickled out to cover just compassionate people. We've reached a point where there has been so much conflict and there has been so much um, disagreement between sides and honestly so much nastiness that it has really truly gotten to a point where people are ridiculed simply over the fact that they are pet keepers and people are demonized simply over the fact that they are livestock keepers. I mean, it really has gotten as bad as like the political climate when it comes to just the animosity and the division in the community. And that is not helped at 
all by any of the pet keepers, the compassionate keepers who are more concerned about prioritizing their birds, you know, feelings and anxieties and comfort over their own. When we come in guns blazing, you know, calling everyone else soulless or whatever it is we're doing, kind of letting emotion call the shots, um, it really opens the door for those other keepers to laugh us out of the room as just crazy radicals. Yeah, and it it makes me think, like, just statistically speaking, you know, there are conservative pet keepers and there are liberal mm-hmm. farmers. You know, how where are those people going to get their advice and their help um, when it's so polarized and it's, and it's so divided? And it seems like on the surface that, you know, one group is completely on one side and one group is completely on the other but there are people in the middle there's a lot of us in the middle Lots with of them. varying beliefs in you know every area of life and what it comes down to at least on this subject is that we care about the animal in our care um, and that should take priority yeah, well, I mean, and we, we personally, you know, are the poster child for extreme pet chicken keeper, you know, like our roosters get good night tucks every single night, you know, like we are, we are just so far on the opposite extreme end of being very, very sensitive to their needs, very concerned. We want them to live a, you know, fantasy Disney kind of life, and we do everything in our power to bring that about. But at the same time, you will never see either one of us showing any kind of cruelty or nastiness to any keepers who feel differently. Um, And that really is the problem. It's not so much the information, it really is the approach. It's the fact that so often when emotion takes over, we wind up sort of missing the point. We wind up being unnecessarily cruel and judgmental to the person making the mistake. And this is the reason, you know, I'm convinced this is the reason that PETA's campaigns not only fail, but give activism a terrible name at the same time. such a trigger word. I mean, oh my gosh, if anyone were to find out that a person was an activist, like, I mean, I think even for activists, you know, it sends them to an extreme, you know, if, if, you find out that someone else is an activist. Oh, well, now they're on the same team on that extreme. Yeah, there's an assumption that, you know, just we've got our radicals over here and we're fighting the bad guy radicals over there. It really is the same misconception as the nice rooster versus aggressive rooster question. Um, We're just applying it to our own species in this instance. But, you know, really looking back on it, it strikes me that the biggest problem with, uh, you know, PETA's campaigns in particular, and I pick them because I have familiarity with them and their operations, but there is such a tendency to attempt to hurt really to attempt to almost get even, I really do think that that somehow has become more the goal than spreading better information, is to make the bad guys suffer. You know, you hear about campaigns like throwing fake blood on people wearing fur coats or handing out incredibly graphic comics called Your Mommy Kills Animals to the children of the people wearing those items. Um, Really, truly cruel behavior. Um, And this is the thing is that another person's mistakes do not justify our 
actions taking that route. Um, we are accountable for how we conduct ourselves and for living up to our own standards of compassion. This is one reason that it's such a heavily enforced rule in the group that we help operate, that we will manage disagreements amongst members compassionately. We will assume the best and not the worst, and we will make sure that we are right there and ready to help the moment that somebody needs it. Um, but I see this time and time again, you know, where people would be concerned to even join a group called Brewster Allies. And it's because so many of the activists out there have become so angry and so discouraged that they really have taken to just launching off on attacks. And people who are not yet in the activist mindset, who are not as radical, you know, about their love for their roosters as we might be, understandably expect to get torn to shreds there. And that shouldn't be the case. We are the spokespeople for compassion, and that should be applied uniformly. We should not be making you know, these exceptions where we're going to stand up and defend our rooster when they make a mistake and they attack when they didn't need to, but then turn around and just, you know, I don't know, just pull out the firing squad at the first human to make a misstep. Because again, when we attack the human, ultimately it's the rooster in their care that is likely to suffer. Well, that's we just, just, yeah. Can't reiterate logic. that enough. That's just the logic behind it. You know, anyone who's going to say, well, I'm upset because their rooster deserves better than this or something, because you've got all kinds. You know, you've got the people who their entire focus is on worry for the bird. You've got the people who their entire focus is on worry for the keeper. And you've got people, you know, like us, whose focus is on worry for everyone in the situation. And so... Even if it literally is just about the rooster, if we care that much, then we have to find a better way to go about this. We can't just be, you know, randomly burning bridges with people just because we got upset and emotions took over. And just to add a quick third category there, you have the, the people who are concerning themselves solely with, you know, the the big corporations, the factory farming, um, which, you know, I agree there is a problem with and either shouldn't exist or could be done a lot better. Um, but whichever, whatever your opinion is, um, personal attacks and shaming people and, and the, the businesses that practice these things is not the way to get them to change. Again, like we just said, that's going to send them straight into defensiveness and they're not going to be open to changing their ways. If you could address a business owner of a, you know, an owner of a large factory farm in a more compassionate way uh, and friendly way and um, get them open to receiving information first, you'd have a much better chance of convincing them that they could make changes to their business practice or, you know, maybe in, in the long term, um, get it shut down entirely. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, and no one's going to take the advice of somebody who clearly doesn't care at all about them. You know, this goes for really just about anybody if we give our flock the impression we don't care at all about them by, you know, things like just storming through their run to go get the eggs or forcing them to be held when they're struggling and trying to get away because they're uncomfortable. Um, 
every living being has a bad response to their comfort and their worries just being disregarded. So when a person is having a problem, they have a legitimate concern. They have a fear that's happening or they have a problem that they're grappling with and is making them anxious or uncomfortable or any of these negative emotions, you know, that drive, again, the attacks in any other species, um, we have to make it clear to them that we are giving this information because we understand that what they're going through is hard, because we want them to have a better outcome, and because this can help. Um, not this soapbox thing where we're trying to make ourselves, you know, the uh, perfect keeper that everyone needs to listen to. I mean, really, it's worth emphasizing that there is some truth to this idea that if we had the exact same set of circumstances, you know, education, background, peer group that that person did, we would naturally come to the same conclusion. You know, the reason that we've come to a different conclusion is always because we've had the benefit of different experiences. So it just doesn't make any logical sense to fault other people for this. Um, and it is really every time that I've seen it come up, it has been something that you can just literally point to the word choice or the accusation that got thrown that set everything on a bad track. And next thing you know, you know, you've got this well-meaning, you know, compassionate keeper who wants to help, who gets called out and told that they're just insane and they're out of touch with reality and nobody values their opinion. And then they get mad and then other more traditional keepers come in and, oh, PETA has arrived. Oh, great. The activists are here. And it starts to become this mindset that Activists have no legitimate information to provide, and that is the last thing we want, and every single one of us can do our part to show that even activists, even really, really committed, compassionate keepers, who maybe even take things a little too far, can still be good people. We can still be reliable and fair people, because we do. We do always want to be just when it comes to this, and that means we have to try to account for all those other variables. So it may seem a little redundant, but I, I think it's just always worth repeating that it's important to take a step back and, you know, show the same sort of consideration to other humans that we do to our roosters. If we have learned that there is more to them than meets the eye, that there's more behind their actions and behaviors than just being mean or aggressive, that there's always a difference in experience, that there may be different triggers, um, we we really should be able to apply that to humans as well. Um, it's I think it's easy enough to understand that we've all had different experiences in life and that has shaped us as humans and it has influenced our behaviors and our decisions and ultimately the decisions we make for our flock. And so, if we understand that and accept that about others, we have a much better chance of reaching them with the new information that helped us. Right. Well, and in so many cases, honestly, the keeper is a victim too. They're a victim of that poor guidance and, you know, just possibly a lack of alternatives. I mean, I've seen so many people who, you know, are, for instance, you know, sharing a cute picture of their rooster on his back resting in their lap, right? And they want to share this because, oh, look how comfortable he is. And so many people would very quickly jump in, you know, or, well, not really so many. We're still the minority 
minority who understand that there's a danger there. Um, but people would jump in and say things like, you're going to kill him doing that. You need to stop that right away. And it's true, but it's still fairly callous. And, you know, I've reached out to these people, especially when these are, you know, photos that might be something they're trying to post to our group. And we don't want that happening. We don't want people jumping on them and making them feel judged and unwelcome. So I'll reach out to them directly and say, hey, you know, I just want to give you a heads up that this is actually really dangerous. And I don't want people just jumping you, you know, when you maybe had no idea. So I wanted to just check in and see if you still want this posted. And every single time they've been horrified, felt awful that they've been doing that, said that they had no idea. They were told that they just enjoyed it, it relaxed them, um, and they feel awful. And every single time they say, no, I'll find a different picture. I'm never doing that again. Um, so there's just, there's so much information that we're lacking when it comes to this. And it can be really easy when all you see is that photo and that person's, you know, seemingly casual tone about it, it's really easy to jump to conclusions. But I've definitely found that when you don't do that, when you show some amount of love and consideration for that person and really embrace the fact that they honestly may not have any idea that what they're doing is dangerous or that there's a more compassionate way available to them, that they might have been misled. Um, it's just astonishing how quickly they come around. I it's mean... Certainly more productive to assume that people are good than to assume that they are evil and, you know, not caring. <laughs> yeah, well, and this is what stands out to me. You know, I've now been for about two and a half years um, very, very, very heavily and frequently involved in these online communities. And I see constantly these kinds of interactions, and I have yet to encounter one. Now, flashing back to the fact that I have a personal agreement with myself to comment on every single one I find, no matter how insane it seems. You really would think by this point, if people just didn't want help and they were so nasty, that I would have run into this. Um, there has to be something going on that is preventing me from getting the same bad reception. And I really do think that is all it is, is just making a point to actually care, you know, to really communicate that care first before going anywhere near the data that you're trying to correct. Um, and we're actually going to link an article in the um, information section of this episode that will give kind of a template, a breakdown of what goes into that and what can help um, kind of give a framework for how to navigate that minefield and not trigger any, you know, latent emotions or defensiveness or any of these things that muddy the water and get in the way of just exchanging beneficial information. Um, because as, as of this point, not a single person that I've talked to has come back and called me a lunatic or ridiculed me for suggesting it or anything along those lines. And I can attest to that because I have gotten some um, backlash from my attempts to share helpful information um, in a way that I thought was, you know, friendly and compassionate and neutral, um, even understanding. Yeah. Even when I go out of my way to say things like, you know, I've made that mistake before as well. Um it can still be viewed as an attack if, if you don't go about it the right way. And, and that's why it's critically important to, you know, spend the time to, to learn those nuanced things about 
how you can word things differently so that you can get through to people. And I guess just be more effective with the time you spend sharing your information. Definitely. In the same way that there's no such thing as a hopeless rooster, there's no such thing as a hopeless human either. Um, But they also require some kind of nuanced approaches. You know, you have to kind of pay attention to who it is you're talking to. What are their concerns? What is their situation? Do they have kids? Do they not have kids? Are they worried because they're elderly and they could be in potentially much more danger from something like an attack? These are all things that are important to consider. And the thing that concerns me, you know, when it comes to this is that so often um, people will, you know, learn these better ways. They'll go out there and they'll try to share those better ways, usually with a lot of excitement and optimism and hope. And this kind of thing will come up. And it doesn't take very long for them to just get completely discouraged. And usually they come back and report that they've left every group but ours, which as flattering as that is, um, what they've done in that situation is removed a compassionate voice from that dialogue. And so even though it can be tricky to navigate, even though it can be discouraging, and even though you might, you know, now and again, especially while refining, you know, the way that this gets communicated, you're going to get bad reception every now and again. But if all of us who were, you know, upset or bothered by the bad information that gets spread left those places, there would be nobody to help guide the new keepers who find themselves there. Um, My advice to everyone with a thick enough skin, you know, if you're able to handle the things like photos of processing coming up or, you know, roosters being dangled by their legs, which is always upsetting. But if you have the, you know, emotional strength to go through that and experience those posts and stay present and refine that spreading of information, you can do so much good. Um, We're the foot in the door against all of that bad advice. And as tempting as it can be to just bail and get out of there, Um, somebody's got to be holding that door for the people who do want to pass through and find a better option. Yeah. And like you said, it does take refining. It, it does take practice, but don't give up. You know, I'm still working on it. I'm not as good as Sarah, (laughs) Um, but it's, it's definitely worth it to, to speak up when you can. And, um, and I would, I would read the article that we're going to link in the description. Um, you know, it's, It goes over a lot of what we talked about in this episode, but maybe in a little better detail with some resources um, and suggestions. It'll be much more of a roadmap, you know, of how to phrase, what to be sure to include, um, how to open without sounding accusatory, and just kind of best practices, we could say, um, for interacting with our fellow man. Um, (laughs) We'll basically take some of the psychology that we like to use on our roosters and our flocks in general and try to apply it to just interactions with each other and how that can also bring about a much more peaceful and positive relationship, even with the people who maybe aren't seeing eye to eye at the start. Definitely. So I think that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. If you have any suggestions or questions for us, please don't hesitate to leave a comment below or send us an email. Um, But thanks once again for listening. We do hope you'll join us again next week. Uh, Until then, have a nice day.